You're listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 14th of December 2019 on Monocle 24. It's Saturday, the 14th of December. This is Monocle's House View. Today... To all those who voted for us for the first time and those whose pencils may have wavered over the ballot, I say thank you for the trust you have placed in us and in me and we will work round the clock to repay your trust. As the dust settles on the Conservative Party's astonishing victory in Britain's election, we'll consider what we might expect from Boris Johnson's new majority. And it wasn't only Labour left with little more than soul-searching on Friday. The leader of the Liberal Democrats lost her own seat. We'll look at what's next for Britain's political opposition. All that and the day's newspapers too. Monocle's House View starts now. Good morning from Studio One at Midori House in London. I'm Georgina Godwin. It was an historic week here in Britain. Most had expected Boris Johnson to remain as Prime Minister, but the Conservative Party's ultimate victory, a majority of 80 seats, came as quite a shock. It's the party's best result since 1987 and Labour's worst in nearly a century. Well, joining me to unpack the twists and turns of this saga are the journalist Simon Brook and making his House View debut, the journalist Joe Lynham. Welcome to you both. Good morning. Uh, now, we'll come to Labour's way forward soon. But first, let's look at the Conservative Party's plan now. So much of this election has been about Brexit and presumably come the end of January, that will be a done deal. But then what? We know that it's only the beginning. Hammering out a deal comes next. So is Boris Johnson's timeline realistic? I mean, Simon, he thinks it can be done within a year. He does, and he's got um, a huge responsibility to do that, and I think that's very much a, uh, something he's very much aware of. Um, the Tories are obviously very conscious of the fact that they have won these seats, made this historic gains, but these are committed levers that they're now representing more than ever, so they've really got to uh, deliver on that. And I think the Tories have got some other challenges as well, actually. Um, the The... The polling obviously was great. It was a tremendous victory for them. But I'm sorry to slightly rain on their parade. But then there are other concerns they've got, such as uh, statistics to show that something like 80% of students and those in the 18 to 24 uh, bracket who are very much tend to be Remainers, as we know, they have voted Labour. 85% of Muslims, I saw some polling the other day, uh, voted Labour. So great news in a way for the Tories and certainly puts them on the best opportunity they have for uh, delivering Brexit within that timescale. But they do have challenges. On the other hand, I think um, Boris Johnson's big majority is a great asset to him in the sense that if it had been a narrow majority, if we were talking about 12, 15 seats, that means he would, to put it bluntly, be beholden to every Brexiteer headbanger, the, you know, the Marc Francoise of the party, and he really would have to deliver something that would really just appeal to them his he would be much more constrained whereas i think if you know with a majority of 80 or something he can afford to upset a few as he goes forward with that uh, timetable absolutely i think that's a really good point joe i mean it, it depends what kind of brexit he's really after now that he does have such a large majority he doesn't need to to please the right wing the the erg the dop could it actually mean that we might have a much softer brexit um 
I was reading Sir Ivan Rogers, the former uh, UK ambassador to Brussels this morning, and he seems to think that is a misplaced hope. So for centrists and moderates, hoping now that this substantial majority will give him the Spielraum or the uh, ability to have a softer Brexit, to get your hopes down is what Sir Ivan uh, is is hinting at. Um, the hope is that because he's not beholden to any other party, that he can tack back to the centre and that he can hug Europe a lot closer than he otherwise would want to do and otherwise has spoken about in the last uh, few years. Um, I don't know. We will know, let's say, by Easter, because by Easter he will need to have hit the ground running on the trade deal with the European Union. The European Union has already said, fine, you can have an off-the-shelf Canada-type of free trade agreement, which completely neglects the services sector in the UK, which is 80% of the UK economy. Or... You can we can haggle out a much more bespoke deal, but that will not be done within a year. His de- first deadline will be July the first. July the first, he will have to tell the European Union whether he intends to extend the transition, which is due to end at the very end of twenty twenty. Let's see how he gets by the 30th of June. Mm. I mean, does it even matter what it is that he, Johnson, wants? Because it would appear that Dominic Cummings is the man who really delivered victory for Johnson. Uh, I mean, should we be looking at what it is that motivates Cummings and what his vision of the future is? Well, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, the thing about Dominic Cummings is he's a campaigner. You know, he loves the business of disrupting. He loves the adrenaline of running a campaign. You can't see him somehow slipping into a Whitehall office and sort of carrying on the daily business of government, can you? Let alone put on a tie. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, absolutely. So that's going to I mean he's got the wrong dress code for a start. Um, I think. I mean, I, I I think there's a real opportunity actually for um, one of the for for Boris Johnson to deliver. A, um, I would say a, a softer Brexit. My feeling is that he's never been a really strong Brexiteer, actually, I have to say. I, Donald you know, Cummings. Uh, sorry, I'm talking about Boris Johnson, Boris, yeah. I have to say. Um, I get the feeling that actually he just thought this would be an interesting project. I think when he won the uh, the referendum with Michael Gove, um, we saw him deliver that press conference. He looked slightly shocked, actually. So whether he will reject um, any suggestion by Dom- Dominic Cummings that you do go for a really hard Brexit and he will think, actually, it will be a lot easier to do a sort of smooth Brexit. He is Boris Johnson is part of that kind of metropolitan elite, really, that he's always been so critical of and that the Tories have done so well uh, in this election, but sort of vilifying in a way. So my feeling is that, yeah, I think he'll probably reject um, having won this election. He's not known for his loyalty after all. I think Boris Johnson will probably reject any demands by Dominic Cummings for a really hard Brexit. And I think he'll go for one which suits him and really would sort of work as he would see it with Europe. But, I mean, he's so untrustworthy. We know he's lied and lied again to the electric. I mean, can we trust anything he says? Well, I would add in to to what Simon's just said there, uh, that Boris Johnson, yes, is the metropolitan elite, but he now owes a huge debt of fealty to the Midlands and the north of England, Mm. which got him across the line. He's all but disappeared in Scotland. Obviously, he has no role in Northern Ireland, minor role in Wales. The Midlands and the north of England, the working class, the so-called red wall of Labour has been smashed down, so he owes them a debt of fealty. I think if he wishes to be re-elected, which he obviously does and wants to be a, you know, a Winston Churchill-type character, um, he will have to do something very big in that part, and that means outside London. I suspect they will talk seriously about decentralisation, putting government departments in Leicester and Sheffield and Leeds and Liverpool or whatever else um, to show that they are serious about removing the, the centrifugal force 
that is London, because basically the guts of the UK economy is centred in and around this city that we are speaking to you from. And he'll have to show that reward to those voters in the north. But I mean, if he is to get a second term, I mean, I wonder if there is anything that can derail it. We've seen his behaviour. Is it just a matter of time before there is another huge gaffe that, that is so big that it can't be ignored? He does tend to get away with it, though, doesn't he? That is the thing. Teflon it's the Boris. Teflon Boris. Exactly. Mm. If you have that personality, you can do it. Um, and I think uh, unless it was something really serious, like a major bribery scandal, and there's no suggestion there is something like that, if it was just another bimbo eruption, as they used to call them when uh, Bill, Clinton. Bill Clinton suffered them, absolutely. <laughs> I think, um, you know, that is that is already priced in, if you like. But I do completely agree with you, Joe. I think, I think in a way, to use his own analogy, in terms of repaying the voters from in the North and the Midlands. He's got, in a way, uh, a oven-ready deal here, and that's the Northern Powerhouse, which was very much in favour under... David Cameron and George Osborne slipped off the radar a bit under Theresa May but he has this opportunity now in in terms of infrastructure just the rail system for goodness sake between Manchester and Leeds in the north of England if he can get that going then I think he can really begin to repay those voters who as I say have lent him their vote. Can we just pick up on on this whole bimbo factor though because I mean he he said a few days ago oh there's going to be a Brexit baby boom and I wonder if there's about to be if there's an imminent announcement coming from, from Downing Street and how that would As play... As look at the front page of the papers with Carrie Simons. Exactly. Yeah. But how that would play, particularly in the north and the new Conservative voters from more deprived areas with, and I generalise here, but stricter moral codes, looking at a married PM living with his possibly pregnant girlfriend in Downing I, Street. I, I disagree with that. I think the north of England don't have stricter moral codes. I think the, the, the Tory voters in the shires will be a bit upset about that. But he has them in the bag anyway. I think the people in the north of England don't make the same kind of judgments on moral standards as the as the, the blue rinse set mm. in Hertfordshire and, and the Cotswolds and all that. This is getting very kind of into the weeds for listeners outside uh, <laughs> the, the UK, but basically these are different parts of the UK. Yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned Scotland and another big winner was Nicola Sturgeon, the SNP. Now, she's promised a second referendum on Scottish independence. That's not really in her gift, though, is it, Simon? Well, no, exactly. It's very very much under uh, uh, up to Boris Johnson, and I can't see why on earth he'd want to do this. Um, he's got enough on his plate in terms of constitutional issues already, obviously with a little matter of Brexit. I think what he's going to want to do is focus much more on the bread and butter issues, as we were saying, in terms of the economy and things. Um, this is a major distraction. And the thing he really won't want to be, of course, is the Prime Minister who broke up the union. He really won't want to be the one who gave the green light to the referendum and uh, and let this go ahead. I think the other point is worth making as well is uh, Scottish independence is not great for the Tories, but it would be a disaster for Labour. The Labour Party's only ever had a majority in the in England, uh, I think, three times. They Obviously, they're not doing very well at all at the moment, but in order to get back into Westminster, they really need those traditional Scottish Labour seats, which have gone SNP at the moment, but have traditionally been there you know the ba- the the bedrock of uh, their majorities. Well, let's let's look at Labour because, of course, Jeremy Corbyn has not resigned from his position as leader. He has confirmed that he won't take the party into another election. But I mean, this vote also saw the leader of the, the Liberal Democrats lose her seat. There's little doubt that Britain's opposition needs a rethink. So, I mean, Johnson may indeed make an enormous gaffe soon. But unless Labour reorganises itself, there's no viable alternative. So, what do you think, Joe, needs to happen in the Labour Party to? Make them electable again. Um, my own personal view is the 
shadow cabinet that fought the election two days ago uh, are kind of tainted, and that includes any moderate voices that are in that shadow cabinet. Uh, I know Keir Starmer is the favourite. He's the shadow Brexit secretary, outgoing, I presume. Um, whether he's the favourite to get the top job, I just think, he, yes, he's definitely a centrist. He's definitely a so-called Remainer, even though that phrase is going to disappear, I suspect. Um, but whether he can honestly say that he is clean hands from the Corbyn project, I'm not so sure. I suspect they'll have to go for someone very new. Um, the longer this process takes, I think the better for the Labour Party in the long run. If they go for a quick election process, then they will go for someone that they know, which will be in the Corbyn mould, whether that's Rebecca Long-Bailey or Angela Rayner or whatever. Um, my own outside bet is Jess Phillips, the uh, very interesting, very colourful um, Birmingham MP, uh, not afraid to speak her mind, much younger uh, representation, um, really speaks across the board to that constituency of the Midlands and the North. Uh, I think she is very well placed and at seven to, seven to one is a good bet. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, you're, if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, Simon, is. when will Corbyn go? Well, I think it's interesting. He's uh, Presumably he's partly learnt the lesson of David Cameron who as you remember um, after the losing the 2016 uh, referendum went immediately and suffered a lot of criticism for that um, it's it's so difficult isn't it you don't want to look like you're hanging on as a bad loser unable to accept the result on the other hand if you go quickly as I say it does look irresponsible so I imagine I mean obviously they'll need to move uh, by the um, party conference in October they'll have to have something to say then presumably they'll be looking to elect a new Labour, a new leader then. Um, but I think um, he'll, he'll certainly want to stay long enough to start the process of reflection and analysis. I think the other thing that the Labour Party will find a challenge is the fact that this, part, this election was very much about Brexit. But what a lot on the left, the Corbynistas, the John McDonnell camp can do is point to their economic uh, policies, such as uh, nationalisation, which they can say, actually, polling shows are very popular. So I think there'll still be a, a, a resurgent left here. Um, it just depends how that balances out with the right. And I think Keir Starmer, Keir Starmer is, a, is a, obviously a great, uh, you know, has the CV if you want. But the problem is, as we were saying, he's a, he's a Remainer and Labour has to appeal again to these Leave uh, constituencies that they lost last time. Mm. I mean, Joe, the Times reports that Labour insiders are saying the failure lay somewhere in a grey area between incompetence and conspiracy. What do we think? Well, it, it lay in the grey area between Brexit and a dreadful leader, in my opinion. Mm. Um, it was difficult. I mean, you can you can ask any uh, defeated Labour MP and they will say on the doorstep when they were knocking on the doors, Jeremy Corbyn didn't play very well. Um, and then the other side of it is Brexit. They didn't have a clear policy. Uh, it wasn't you were neither fish nor fowl. Now, they will say that that appealed to this Midlands North as well as the Metropolitan South, which is pro-EU. Um, look, they didn't have a good enough offering. It was the best they could hope for. The best they could have hoped for was to have a hung parliament. And then the hope 
that Jeremy Corbyn would step down and a more sensible leader would, would, would lead a coalition or some sort of rainbow arrangement. Uh, that's the best they could do for But They're going to have to really rethink this, Georgina. It's, but I mean, it is about the soul of the party, isn't it? And, and this battle between the very far left momentum group and, and the rest. Is it about breaking the stranglehold of momentum? Well, this is the problem, of course. You've got a, a large number of MPs who very much are on the right, the centrist part of the Labour Party. But you've had this huge insurgence, as you say, of momentum members, the left wing, and they are the ones really who have the power now. So um, even if you do get a large number of centrist MPs with the wind behind their sails, pointing to the fact that last time they were very, the Labour Party was very successful, was of course under Tony Blair, very much a sort of social democratic and momentum hate Tony Blair. Well, absolutely. This is toxic, isn't it? I mean, I know people always predict the split of parties, but I wonder whether you will see the Labour Party split into a sort of social democratic model and the, and the sort of hard left. I mean, there's no way Labour can win as a hard left party. You know, we just, we know that. Um, and I think a lot of Momentum members have that thing back that they had back in the 80s, their predecessors said, well, they don't really care. They don't want to get involved in the messy business of politics. They'd rather have their rallies and their flags and be safely out of politics. Just to bring it back to the Tories very briefly, this is also a problem for the Tories. You've got a big majority now, which means that party discipline doesn't have to be so good. And of course, the real thing that will it keep any government... in the last parliament either. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's going to be even less now with a really, frankly, rubbish opposition to, to keep them up to the mark. Mm. Well, let's let's talk about uh, the rest of the opposition. Jo Swinson, as we know, the, the Liberal Democrat leader, lost her seat. Now, the party campaigned on stopping Brexit. but uh, And Simon, this goes back to something you said. When one analyses the figures... Only 46% actually voted for Johnson and, and therefore believe, you know, his whole get Brexit done agenda. So over half the country doesn't want to leave the EU. Why then did the Lib Dems do so badly, Joe? The electoral system is very unfair in the UK. You can have a situation whereby for each Lib Dem MP that was elected, they needed 600,000 votes. For every Conservative MP that was elected, they needed 30,000 votes. For every SNP MP elected, they needed 25,000 votes. Where is the fairness in that? Now, I know Britain voted against the alternative vote system, which is not proportional representation. I come from a country uh, which uses proportional representation, which has the single transferable vote. And it may elect some fringe candidates for being very generous to some of the you know gombeans that are that are elected but their views are reflected mm. and that is something that britain does not have germany has a system where, whereby you get elected on two on the list system and proportional representation so it's very fair um, britain as long as it has first past the post uh, will not reflect the views of smaller parties and lib dems are the biggest losers and that biggest winners snp yeah. Uh, Simon, uh, what what of the party next? I mean, Ed Davey, the deputy leader, and, and Baroness Brinton are taking charge temporarily. Chukar Amuna, uh, Luciana Berger, both Labour defectors who were being looked at and possibly groomed, uh, have lost their seats. I mean, will Davey stay on? I imagine he will as a caretaker. I think he's got quite a good CV, hasn't he? He's quite popular within the party. I have to say, I mean, my problem with the Lib Dem stance is I thought to cancel Brexit, not only are you upsetting the Leave voters, but you're also upsetting that large number of Remain voters who have said, I'm sorry, it's infuriating, but we've lost. We just need to get this done. So I thought it was a really bizarre uh, decision to make. Then, of course, they had to flip over and say, all right, we've changed our mind halfway through the election. 
Um, Did they change their mind? They just well, they played it down. Well, they, they said, yeah, but they they decided actually. Oh, okay, we're not going to actually cancel Brexit. Mm. Uh, we're going to be a little bit softer on that. But you can't do that during a campaign. You know, mm. it just looks indecisive. I think the funny thing about the Lib Dems is, given that the other two parties are very much moving to the extremes, aren't they? The left and the right. Given that all the polling shows that their leaders are not popular, or whatever, you would think this was an opportunity for a centrist party to to come up through the middle and really scoop votes up from both parts. I think probably probably part of their problem was that Joe Swinson didn't poll very well, and I'd hate to be the aide who had to say to her, "Listen, Joe, the problem is the more people see you, the less they like you." I really wouldn't want that job at all, poor thing. But um, it, I think the problem is they they. Partly still from their rep- reputation from when they were in coalition with the Tories in in the in a previous government, but also just a lack of what do they actually stand for? Um, yes, very pro EU, but in terms of other policies, what do they stand for? And I think unless they can get that distinctive cut through, which is a problem the Lib Dems have always had, then they will uh, still sort of flounder in the middle. But in there a post Brexit world, won't that be easier for them? Because then they don't have to deal with the issue of Brexit; they can focus on all the other stuff. But then, what 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 are, what is that other stuff? You see, I think that's the thing that when when it, when we did have Brexit on the menu, you knew this was the most pro EU party, completely united. Well, absolutely, because mm. it it's it was seen as divisive. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if with a new leader, um, whether they can attract votes from moderate Labour, moderate Tories who who do feel disillusioned with their current party. I mean, just before we move on, then, is there a case for another party that's taking the, these uh, dissatisfied Labour voters, people from the Lib Dems, people like uh, Umunia, and, and just having a new centrist party? They just it won't survive. Change UK didn't survive. It, it lasted, what, three or four months? Um, it won't survive with the current electoral system. It's just, it's just not a runner. Um, and also... When it comes to it, when it comes down to the general election, we saw it, people who were going to vote Lib Dem said, well, that is going to be a wasted vote, so I'm going to have to vote tactically for Labour, and even that wasn't enough. You're listening to Monocle House View. Coming up next, the newspapers. Konnichiwa. For its bumper December-January issue, Monocle heads to Japan and delivers a guide to a fascinating nation with an exciting year ahead. Here are five top picks from what you'll find inside. First, meet Kumamon, the furry mascot that's the darling of Kumamoto Prefecture thanks to its infectious brand of soft power. Second, we take to the skies with Mitsubishi Aircraft Corporation as the company releases the first aircraft to be designed and built in Japan in decades. Third, we look ahead to the stadiums, venues and developments that will host next year's Olympics and prove this country's architectural sensibility still has plenty to teach to the rest of the world. Fourth, we drop into the new London outpost of Snowpeak, the brand bringing its cool camping kit to urbanites keen to escape the concrete jungle. Fifth, we lead you on a whistle-stop tour of all the shops, neighbourhoods and cities you should hit up for a successful Christmas spree. From hats to wooden toys, candle holders to ceramics, we've got your present list sorted. Monocle's December-January issue is available now at monocle.com. Never miss a copy. Head to the website and subscribe now. This is Monocle's House View, live from London. I'm Georgina Godwin, and if you're just joining us, my guests today are Joe Lynham and Simon Brook. Now, we're going to turn to the newspapers. Joe, what, what are the European papers saying about the British election? Um, well, I, 
I was looking at the German papers. Uh, I kind of follow the Dutch papers a little bit and the Italian papers. But the German papers are definitely interested in this. And it's in the front page. I'm looking at Die Welt, Zu Deutsche Zeitung and Frankfurter Allgemeine. Um, the FATS or the Frankfurter Allgemeine speaks of Klarheit or clarity, because that is what the Germans want. They want clarity from Britain because there has been fudging and messing around for three and a half years. So they, obviously this is a pro-business centre-right paper, are very keen on finally sorting out Brexit. So Britain will leave and we will get to know what the future relationship is, they hope. Uh, so from their point of view, it's good news from that. But even though the Germans love the Brits and they want Britain to stay, they know that is a forlorn hope. The Süddeutsche Zeitung, slightly centre-left, um, is raising the issue of keeping the Vereinigte Königreich, Vereinigtes Königreich together, i.e. the United Kingdom. So they're saying, OK, Boris has won, he's got his majority, the next battle is going to be to keep Scotland in the Union and Northern Ireland in the Union. In the election coverage on Thursday night into Friday morning, George Osborne, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, was talking about Northern Ireland or a federated Ireland is what he was already talking about. Scotland clearly is in the middle in the middle of a constitutional row that is going to brew all through 2020 and possibly into 2021. But the continental point of view is there's clarity, but the next battle is a huge one, a big, big issue, the breakup of a major member state. Yeah. Simon, what have you spotted there? Uh, very much the same story here in Le Monde. Um, it quotes the French Secretary for European Affairs, Amélie de Montchalin, who says, what we've been waiting for is a clarification, and it does seem to be here, um, very importantly over Brexit, she said. Um, and it tells us more about the way we are going to divorce, um, uh, she's quoted as saying. There's also a quote here from a diplomatic source um, who says that we need to establish the closest links possible. So Le Monde has, uh, I think, um, the, the, the sort of attitude that I've seen in some of the other European papers, which is sadness. We don't want the Brits to go, but at least we know now where we're going from here and we get a sense of, um, you know, the, the kind of picture that's going to emerge from London over the next few months and years. Mm. Uh, now, the British papers are, uh, well, go through a, a gamut of different opinions, don't they, Joe? Well, obviously, most of the main British newspapers are pro-conservative in the United Kingdom, so Telegraph, the Sun, uh, the Times, the the Star, the Express, they're all pretty pleased with the results. Um, Telegraph today, um, Corbyn is a virtue signalling London club and biologically incapable of representing the working class. I wonder what they feel about that. Um, the <laughs> he's, Times, he's lost, leave him alone, you feel yeah. like saying. You know. <laughs> the Times newspaper, Matt Chorley, who's very funny, actually. very uh, He's their political kind of sketch writer, uh, correspondent. Uh, Corbyn lost because the mainstream electorate was biased against him. Now, the accusation from the, uh, from the Corbynistas from the Labour Party was the mainstream media was against uh, Corbyn. And that may have been true. But the the fact of the matter is the electorate had a look at Corbyn and didn't like the look of him. I thought... Um, the interesting perspective from where I come from is a Belfast Telegraph, which is a pro-unionist paper. Suzanne uh, Breen is the editor saying, disaster at the polls is the price the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party, pays for a vicious campaign. And the I newspaper, the battle for the United Kingdom begins. Mm. Uh, Simon, the FT and the whole business perspective on this, what does this mean for commerce and trade? Well, uh, lots of bullish um, articles here. The pound has rallied. Uh, business uh, 
is very much welcomed, uh, not just a Tory, a, a Tory victory, but also, I think, a sense of uh, stability as well. So the market's very pleased with this. And I'm told by my uh, contacts that uh, in the city that there's an awful lot of dry powder, as they call it, uh, potential investment, which is, has been just waiting to see if the Tories would win again, and they have. Um, the FT also, though, and I think this is really important, has a, a thoughtful piece, a bit of reportage of uh, red car in a seated uh, a constituency in the north of England, traditionally very Labour, which they had to do this, hadn't they, has now become blue car as the Tories <laughs> run it. Um, interesting, prof- very mini- very short profile of the the winner here. He's local, very important, a uh, former industrial worker um, who studied at the local college and the local university. Um, and, uh, and the fact he's also young, 26 that's Ridiculous. hugely young. Ridiculous. <laughs> I, can't tell, but, well, I can tell you what I was doing at 26, but I couldn't broadcast it. <laughs> right, okay. We presumably weren't standing for Parliament. But, um, but the, the, pay, the piece, the point, the, sorry, the, pe- the point the piece also makes alongside the big picture from the city is that um, people in Redcar have very much lent the Tories their votes. The, vo- the Tories are on probation. Um, yes, of course, we want Brexit, but there's a quote here. We have to preserve good trades, uh, goods trade, People didn't hear vote to see factories closed down and quotes Vox Pops from people within the town saying, yes, we had, we did vote Tory, but we want to see results as, uh, you know, yeah. and, and to be... We're going to have to go now, but one very important question before we do. Joe, you're Irish, mm-hmm. obviously. Are you married? Yes, I am. Damn. Ring on finger. <laughs> I need a passport. Do you have yeah. any friends? <laughs> Do I have any, any friends who, who you could marry? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I'd have to get rid of my husband, but it's almost worth, Is it worth it, it just not to be British anymore. I'm deeply embarrassed. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for, for joining me, Joe Lynham and Simon Brooke. And thank that's you, all for today. Thank our you. supervising producer was Bren Ryland. Our researcher was Tia Thomas-Alexander. And our studio manager today was Nora Hull. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening. 